Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Before I say that, I always want to say what a privilege it is to be able to speak again in my home church. Church that I came to as a child. I love God and I love the way He works things out. The Word of God says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Today I want to preach to you a little bit on this thought. Being a servant of the Lord. Being a servant of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, Oh God of heaven, God of angel armies, God who sent His Son down to this world, who bled and died for me, all so I could go to a place called heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I'm not doing... I didn't volunteer for this. Lord, you called me to do it, Lord. And I'm just asking that you work through me. Give me the words I need to say, Lord. Let Dakota decrease, Lord, and I want you to increase. Lord, let me get as low as I can get so you can get as high as you can get, Lord. We invite your presence into the sanctuary, God. We want you to show up tonight, God. Because when you show up, as my pastor says, things will happen, Lord. And I just want to remember him at home. And his dear wife, God, I pray for healing, mercy to come upon them, Lord, in this hard time. Lord, if it be your will. Lord, all glory, honor, and praise goes to you tonight. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So being a servant of the Lord, I want you all to ask yourselves this question. Am I? A servant of the Lord? Am I a servant of the Lord? Don't listen to what Dakota has to say tonight. Because this message was all God inspired. God gave it to me and I'm just giving it to you. I'm just being his messenger tonight. I'm I'm telling you to examine yourself by the reading of the word. We're going to dissect these two verses here. And you're going to ask yourself, are you a servant of the Lord? Are you? In Genesis 26, 24, Abraham is called a servant of the Lord. In Numbers 12, 7, Moses is called a servant of the Lord. In um, Joshua 24, 29, Joshua is called a servant of the Lord. In 2 Samuel 7, 5, David is called a servant of the Lord. In Isaiah 23, Isaiah is called a servant of the Lord. And then we go down to the New Testament. And Paul opens up the letters of Romans and Philippians. He opens it up as a servant of Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter, Peter opens up his letter as a servant of Jesus Christ. And in James and Jude, in both of their letters, they open up their letters referring to themselves as servants of Jesus Christ their Lord. They could have mentioned that they were the brothers, but they did not do so. Many of us today couldn't say the same thing. We'd want to put in the the opening caption of our letter if we were writing one, exactly how we know Jesus. He's our best friend. Uh, We met him here and he knows us by name and we'd be wanting to put all this information. Hey, they were Jesus' half-brothers. They didn't mention that once. Just that they were a servant of him. They were a servant of Jesus. But most of all, Jesus Christ himself in the scripture is said to be like a servant of the Father in heaven in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Isaiah 53, 11, it says, He shall see of the travail of his soul 
and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And then in the New Testament, Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now listen, I, I, I don't, don't take what I'm saying as Jesus is your servant because Jesus isn't your servant. But Jesus is our, is our example, is what the Bible says. And he set the example of what true servanthood is. And to God, you know, he could have said, I'm God. He could have came down and sit on a throne. He could have come and, and did whatever he wanted. He could have done it all. He could have. He's, he was God himself. He was God in the flesh. He could have done anything. But instead, he was, he was washing the disciples' feet. He was healing the blind. He was healing the sick. He was healing the dead. He was serving people. He, he didn't have to. And he still does today. He don't have to answer one of our prayers. He don't have to. He's God, but he does. And he still does it today. But he is not our servants. We are called to be his servants. We are called to be his servants. Man, he, he loved you. Jesus loved you. All the way to the cross, it says in those verses. Those nails right here did not hold him to the cross. But it was his love that he had. For each and every one of us. That's what held him to that cross. He could have made those nails disappear in a second. But he didn't. Because he was obedient. And he took the form of a servant unto death. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. How many of us can say that to God? Not my will, but your will be done. Now, giving you all these examples of servants in the Word of God, what, what exactly is a servant? Well, the word servant in the Greek translation, if you take that word servant, it's a Greek word doulos, which literally means slave. It means slave. These men were literally saying they were slaves of God. Paul was saying he was a slave of God. James and Jude, the brothers of Jesus, were saying they were slaves of Jesus. That's the way they referred to themselves. We aren't necessarily fond of that word, now are we? You know, slaves are purchased, born into a slave family, and served the master until they died, or until the master decided to free them. Some slaves had developed such a close and loving relationship with their master that even when the master died, they would still continue to serve the family. Or even when they were, were to be set free, they said, Master, we don't want to be set free. And this is what Paul and Peter and James and Jude are trying to convey here. They've been freed from the bondage of sin. But because of the one that has been so good to them, because of the one that, that gave his life for them, because of the one that gave them everything, they have a desire to continue being a slave, but not a slave to sin anymore, but a slave to Christ. He paid for us, not with money either. Peter says it like this, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but, this is what we were purchased with, the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We weren't purchased with money. We were blood-bought. We're blood-bought. Everyone in this room has been blood-bought. We've been bought by the blood of not just a man, the blood of God. The blood of God. Some people say God don't have blood. Well, he did when he was here on this earth. He did when he, was, when he was, took the form of a servant named Jesus. He had blood in his veins in and he shed it for us. He didn't have to. He chose to. We've been blood-bought. We were on our place, or we were on our way to a place called hell. Every one of us in this room, 
If you're sitting here and you're saved, there was a time that you once weren't saved. There was a time that you didn't know who Hezekiah was. There was a time you didn't know the words to Amazing Grace. There was a time, remember that place? When you were headed on the way to a place called hell, destruction and darkness, you were heading in that direction until Jesus came in front of you and said, I love you. I loved you all the way to death. I gave my life for you. You don't have to go to this place anymore. I know you deserve it, but to me, you're worth it. And you can come live with me in heaven. He set you free with his blood. He set you free. He said he's paid for you. You don't have to live that way anymore. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll walk with you down in the valleys. Hey, I'll walk with you when you're up on the mountaintops. But I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. I'll walk with you through the hardships in life, through the depression, through the anxiety, through the addiction, through the lust through the greed, whatever the issues we're dealing with, he's going to be with you right beside of you. But we don't even want to ask him for help. We'd much rather try to do it ourselves. He's got the keys to free you. Hey, he's got the keys in his pocket. Whatever you've got dealing with, he's got the keys to free you from it. He's got them. Don't mean he's always going to give them to you. Sometimes he might make you wait. But one day we'll get the keys. One day, if you're a saved child of God sitting here in the room, we'll get the keys to whatever problem we're going through right now. And we'll get to go up there and be in heaven with Him one day. So we get to... He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's done a lot for us. But hey, I say, why stop there? Why stop there? What did we do, what did we do to deserve what He's done for us? You ever ask yourself that? What have we done to deserve what He's done for us? There's nothing we've done to deserve the love that He's given us. And that's what Paul is saying here in Romans. We should serve God because we've been blood-bought. We've been born again. And we didn't have to pay a thing for it. We didn't have to pay a thing for it. So let's look at this verse right here. Let's take a deep dive in verse number 1 right there. And I want to apply something I learned in elementary school to dissect this verse. It's called the five W's. Has anybody ever heard of the five W's? Who, what, when, where, and why. Learned about it in school. It's five questions you ask that can't be answered with just a yes or a no. There must be thought and effort put into those answers. They're used to help with information gathering and problem solving. News journalists use them. Researchers use them. Investigators use them. So why not pupils trying to understand the living word of God tonight let's go back to the basics tonight it ain't bad to go back to the basics that's why they're called basics because you can understand it easier I'm not saying it ain't all right to go in a deep dive sometimes but let's go to the basics and let's look at this verse so here's the five W's of serving God number one who who should serve Christ look at verse number one I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God First of all, that word beseech means to beg, exhort, urge. Paul's putting emphasis on how important this is. And then it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Who is the brethren? Well, the next five words tell you. By the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. Paul is talking to anyone under the mercies of God. Anyone under the mercies of God. So who should serve Christ? Anyone who falls under the mercies of God. And who falls under the mercies of God? Everyone falls under the mercies of God. If you're breathing here to, today, you're falling under the mercies of God. We're living in God's mercy every time we wake up. When, from the time we've been born to the time we're going to take our last breath, we're living in God's mercy. Whether you're saved or whether you're lost, you're living in God's mercy. We're all living in God's mercy. So it's, this verse applies to everybody. Everyone, everyone, are you a servant of the Lord? Ask yourself now, are you a servant of the Lord? What? What should we do to serve Christ? Verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. 
Just as Christ was a sacrifice that made us righteous in God's sight, we should every day be a living sacrifice in His sight. In the Old Testament, when um, the sin had been committed, the person had to go get the best sheep. The one with no defects. I'm sure some of the people back in the Old Testament would have loved to give the blind sheep, would have loved to give the crippled sheep, would have loved to get the run of the herd and give. But their sins wouldn't be forgiven if they did that. They had to go get the best of the best. So what does God do? He gave us the best of the best. And that's why he's called the Lamb of God. He's the picture right there. Oh, and by his blood, and guess what? We got to give God our best of our best tonight. And forevermore, we got to give him the best. We can't give him the, the runt. We can't decide what we want to give him. That ain't true. Hey, a slave, remember it means, that serve word for servant means slave. Slaves obey their master. They don't do what they want to do. That means when God tells us to do something, we do it. No questions asked, we do it. We gotta, we gotta be obedient to the Holy Spirit. There's so much more this life He wants us to have in this life if we just be obedient. And this, boy, does this message not just speak, uh, hopefully speaks to you, but it speaks to me. Because there's been so many times I spit in God's face. Even after I've been called to preach, there's things I struggle with every day. So we're born in this, we're born in this thing called sin. But the Bible says just because you sin ain't a reason to keep sinning. We should try to stop sin. We shouldn't just sin because we can. We had the freedom to go out here and do what we want to do and get forgiven. That don't mean we go out there and do it. That ain't the way God intended it at all. We got to give him our best. Amen. We got to give him our best. Because that's the only way to be holy and acceptable unto God, as it says in verse 1. A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God. And that word holy and acceptable, that means well-pleasing in God's eyes. Is our, is our lives well-pleasing in God's eyes? Are we presenting Him that living sacrifice in our bodies this morning? Remember, it ain't your body, it's His. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says this, What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not of your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They're God's. You go ahead and do what you want to do, but God's going to be right there with you. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you? Your body is His house, and, he, and He's moved in, right? He's moved in. But sometimes we just want to make Him sleep on the couch. We don't want Him to come in and rearrange some furniture. We don't want Him to come in and throw some things out. That's what he wants to do. When he moves in, he's wanting to change some things. He's wanting to get rid of some things. He's not wanting to sleep on her couch. That's his house. This body is not my body. It's his body. Your body, if you're saved today, it's his body. Remember, he bought it. You've been blood-bought on Calvary. And we can't just say, oh, I didn't ask to be bought. I didn't ask to be bought. Well, you want to go to heaven, don't you? That's the only way you can get there is through the blood. If we didn't get blood bought, we'd be asking the blood boss. You understand? We, that's the only way to heaven is through the blood of Christ. We've been blood bought and we should be shouting about it. A living sacrifice. His body. Your master. His servant. Bought by the blood. Are you a servant of the Lord this morning? Or this evening, are you a servant of the Lord? When? When should we present our body to Him a living sacrifice? Well, based off this first part of this scripture, it says, I beseech you. Remember what that says. It means that He's urging us. It means that we need to do an ASAP. We need to be doing it. Paul's saying, I'm begging you to do it. I'm begging you to present your body a living sacrifice. I'm urging you to. Hey, hey, if it's the last thing you do, you've got to do this. You've got to present your body a living sacrifice. I'm begging you. I'm begging you to do it. That's how Paul is saying it to us. He's begging us. He's begging us. He's, he's telling us how important it is. And you know, to, I can conclude from that, he's wanting to do this ASAP. If we're not presenting our body a living sacrifice this evening, right now in this room, if, none of, if one of us in here is not doing it, we need to start doing it. Right now. When? Right now. Right now we got to start presenting 
our bodies to him because they're not ours. Are you a servant of the Lord? Where? Where should we do this at? Well, that's wherever God tells you to. Wherever he tells you to. Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel. Where, and I can, I can go further than that. Wherever you are, wherever you are in life, that's where he wants you to do it at. Right here in this church, that's where he wants you to do it. Right here, right now, that's where he wants you to do it at. He wants you to do it wherever you're at. Wherever he tells you to do something. Wherever. Where? Right here. Where? Right here. So right now I can tell you with 100% certainty that God wants you to present your bodies to Him right here, right now. Are you a servant of the Lord? Number five, why? Why should we serve Him? Well, I believe I've already covered that with the blood-bought thing right there on the cross, that cross of Calvary. That's a, if that be any the reason why, that's the reason why right there. But, number, but verse number one tells us why. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. That means we've got to give Him our best. And then look what it says in that last part of verse one, which is your reasonable service. As a servant, that's our reasonable service, to give our body as a living sacrifice. Why should we? It's our reasonable service. That word reasonable means fair. Hey, listen here. It's fair that we go to church three times a week. It's fair that we pick up a Bible and read it. It's fair that we pray to Him every day. Hey, it's fair. It's fair that we uh, go without food and fast. You know, I never even heard of that word fast, religious fast. I've heard of it for losing weight, but I never heard of the... I've been in church my whole life and never heard of that. Nobody talks about it anymore, but the Bible says... Hey, if you got faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, move and it'll move. But this kind only goes out by prayer and by fasting. There is power when it comes to you, that self-sacrifice. Fasting is taking prayer to the next level. You want to see a move of God? Is there somebody that you've been praying for? Is there somebody that that you want to see bonds broken, chains broken? I believe God is able to do it in anything, right? The Bible's clear on that. He's able to do it. Sometimes he wants us to fast. I know some of you can't, but you can fast from something. There's something you can fast from. You can, uh, with people my age, it's their cell phone. It's their cell phone. You, you can fast. But, I'm, but, all, but most of all, if you, can, if you are just saying you can't fast from food as a way, but listen, listen, God knows. God knows. God knows if you can or not. But I'm telling you what, the Bible's clear on fasting. Fasting is a way to move a mountain. You want somebody saved? Go a day without food and pray to God and say, God, I'm giving this up for you. I'm so hungry. God, I'm, I'm actually not just hungry. I'm starving. But I'm not going to eat until tomorrow because I want to see my granddaughter saved. Because I want to see my son saved. Because I want to see him back in church. I want to give you my body. I'm going I'm to make this self-sacrifice for you. I don't want to, God, but you're my master. And I want to see a mountain moved in my life. There's power. God is able. It's fair that we do those things. And it's even fair to die for Him. How many of us in this room can say that we die for Christ? We die for Him. If He told us to go die, we'd do it. That's what He did. So it's fair. Whatever He tells us to do is fair. He's done enough. He can hang up His boots tonight, not do another thing, and He's done enough for us. So what can we do for Him? Do you know why it's fair? It's because of this thing called grace. Grace that will stand whenever we can't. You may go through this life and lose your house, lose your sobriety, lose your finances, lose your family. But in Jesus' name, you won't lose the grace that He's given you. You will not lose the grace of God that He's given us. If you're saved, you'll be saved until you die. He's given us a thing called grace. His grace is sufficient for me. His grace will get you through manic depression. His grace will get you through the loss of a loved one. His grace will get you through a cancer diagnosis. His grace is enough for you even when you say that you're not enough. 
His grace is enough for you to do whatever He asks. Maybe it's quitting your dream job that pays the bills when you've got a family to feed and you just can't seem to understand it. That's me. I did that. Every person I talked to said I was crazy to do it. Christian people told me I was crazy if I quit my job at McDonald's. But I know God told me to. Sometimes He does that to test your faith. He told Abraham to take Isaac up a mountain and kill him. Sometimes God's going, hey, it ain't easy to be a slave of Christ. It ain't, it ain't easy. We're going to go through hardships. We're going to go through depression. But it's easy when you know you've got that grace that will get you through it. That grace will make you see another day. I don't deserve one bit of what He's done for me. And I'm not, I'm, God does a lot for me. So I've got to do a lot for Him. And I wear myself out doing it sometimes. But I mess up so many times too. I mess up. Let me just tell you how my week has went. Let me tell you how my week has went since last Sunday. Sunday night or Monday. Monday. I went to a revival up in Bristol, Virginia. About 45 minute drive. 7 o'clock. Tuesday. I got up early in the morning. Went down to Recovering Soldiers Ministries. and I have a class I'm taking there. 8.30 in the morning. I left as soon as I was done there and drove back to Bristol for a fellowship meeting with some preachers and to hear the Word of God preached. Then I drove back home and then back there again that night at 7 o'clock. Drove, put my family in the van and took them again. Wednesday night, I drove to Asheville, North Carolina, an hour drive for a revival meeting at 7 o'clock. Thursday night, I drove back to Asheville again. Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Friday night, I drove back to Asheville again, 7 o'clock. Saturday morning, I came to Recovering Soldiers Ministries again at 7.30 in the morning, and I preached a message to them. Then I drove over here to the church, and me and my brother and our pastor, we get on this altar and we pray for this church, and we pray for this church, and we've been doing it for months. We pray, and we pray, and we pray, and look, we've seen 13 people saved. Glory to God. Hallelujah that he's in the saving business. Then I leave that prayer. I go to work. I get off work yesterday, and we drive an hour again to Asheville last night, 7 o'clock. Didn't get home to around midnight. Get up in the morning. I come here for prayer meeting early in the morning at 9.30. Go to Sunday. I'm back at, going back to Johnson City. I live 30 minutes away from this church. But I know that's what God wants me to do. But you know through this week, you know how many times I messed up? Hey, I'm not claiming to be better than anybody in this room. Because I mess up probably more than any of you do. I have problems with my anger. I have problems with uh, anxiety. My anxiety gets to the roof. I get angry sometimes at little things I shouldn't get angry over. And it, I beat myself up for it. So why do I drive an hour away to these services every single night and people call me crazy for it? Because I want to get some help for it. I want to fix that anger problem. I want to fix my anxiety problem. All for God's glory. I want to I want to go hear some preaching and maybe through the preached word I feel the presence of God and God speak to my heart and me come up to an altar and get right with Him. I, have, I can barely afford the gas money, but I know God will handle it. I know through God He'll handle it. I'm trying to get right. That's why I do that. You can call me crazy all you want. People, people have when I quit my job. Oh, you're too crazy for Jesus. You know who told me that? My own wife. <laughs> but you know what? Two days later, she was down on an altar getting saved. She was getting saved. And she says that wasn't crazy anymore. She understands. She understands. And she wants to go right there with me, all these revivals. Because I'm seeking God. And there was a time maybe in some of your life that you were doing the same thing. You've let the fire go out. Hey, God's wanting to put the fire back in Bible Baptist Church. Hey, He's able to do it. Amen? He's able to get this place filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I'm not talking about filled with people. I'm talking about filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I'm talking about be filled with the Holy Ghost. Filled so much with the Spirit that when the Spirit comes by, you get knocked down. I felt the Spirit like that before. I want, I, my desire is to feel it in this place. God, come in great power. Come in great presence here in this place. 
Because when the presence is here, things start to happen as our pastor says. It's fair to do those things though. It's my reasonable service to quit my job. It's my reasonable service to go to all these meetings, spend all this money when I don't have it. Hey, that's my reasonable service. I wouldn't have the money anyway if it wasn't for him giving me arms to work. If he told you to go pack a bag, move to Africa and do missions, that's your reasonable service. That's fair. Yeah, you're going to struggle as a husband and you're going to struggle as a wife and you're going to struggle as a father. You're going to struggle as a mother. You're going to struggle as an employee. You're going to struggle as a Christian. We all fall short. But when we are deficient, His grace is sufficient. And when we aren't enough, His grace is enough. He says, my grace will cover you. My grace is for you. My grace will lead the way. My grace is sufficient for thee. God's in control. Trust on Him. Lean on Him. Acknowledge Him in all you do. And what does the Bible say? It says He will direct your paths. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Are you a servant of God this morning? Now that we've dissected these five W's, Verse 1, I want to ask another question. How? How can I be a living sacrifice? How can I change if I'm not where I need to be? How can I be the servant God has called me to be? How? Well, that's where verse 2 comes in. Oh, I love the Word of God that has the answers to everything we can go through in life. Verse 2 gives us our answer. It says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to look at these three elements right here, being a servant of the Lord. Number one is the danger of conforming. It says, Be not conformed to this world. What is this world? Well, I'm glad that the Bible gives us our answer. Don't let me tell you. Let's let the Bible tell you. John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Anytime we don't do as the Holy Spirit asks of us, we aren't presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. We are conforming to this world, and we're doing it based off one of these three sins. Lust of the flesh... And that's all your desires and your nature without regard to the will of God. That's the lust of the flesh. You have two things in your... Well, you got a little spirit man in your body and a flesh man. Your spirit's always against your spirit. Your flesh and spirit in constant battle. Your flesh wants to sleep. Uh, or Yeah, your flesh wants to sleep and your spirit wants to go pray. Your flesh wants to go eat, but your spirit might want to go fast. Your flesh wants to go out and, and go, go to a dinner or somewhere your spirit wants to come to church on Sunday night. These are all battles of the lust of the flesh. And number two is the lust of the eyes. That describes someone who is being captivated by an outward show of materialism. You see a new car, you're going to have to have it. You see a new dress or a new suit, you're going to have to have it. You see a new position at work, you have to have that one. Cars, dresses, suits, positions, money, fortune, fame are not in themselves sinful. But the desire to have what we see is sinful. An inordinate desire to have anything contrary to God's will is sinful. David fell captive to the lust of the eyes when he looked at Bathsheba. And in Matthew 6, 22, Jesus himself says this. He says, if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. That's what Jesus said. It's what brings everything into our body is our eyes. And number three is that pride of life. That pride of life is your desire for recognition and applause and status and advantage in life. Um, The pride that life can offer you. This is the guy that has zero dollars in his bank account but claims that he has all the money in the world. Or the man who always wants to one-up you. This is the person who, when you tell him about a trip you took across the state line, he'll tell you about the trip he took in Europe. This is the person that refuses to go to an altar because they're afraid of what someone else will think of them. This is for the person ashamed to hand out a gospel track for fear of being called crazy. It's a dangerous sin. Listen to this quote by Dr. Adrian Rogers. A dangerous sin, more to hold back revival than any other sin. Doing more to homes than any other sin. Ruining this nation 
than any other sin. Causing Christians to live in failure and defeat more than any other sin. Filling hell more than any other sin. That's what pride does. It's a dangerous sin. But you know what? We all got pride. Anybody that says they don't have pride has more pride than anyone. We got pride. But when you let the pride start consuming you, dangerous things can happen. The Bible even says it that pride goeth before destruction. Pride is something you don't want to mess around with. So when you, when you find yourself dealing with pride, that's the perfect time to come to an old-fashioned altar and get right with God Almighty. Ask Him to humble you. Ask Him to you to get you right. We see all three of these sins in the very first sin, as a matter of fact. Genesis 3, 6 says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, that's the lust of the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, that's the pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. You can call these three things the oldest tricks in the book. Literally, the oldest tricks in the book. The devil has been using them since the beginning. So don't conform to this world. You know how? Don't do it. When your flesh wants to, don't do it. Go against it. When you're too afraid, do it anyway. The Spirit wants you to, and you're, and you're going to be embarrassed. Oh, who cares? Get embarrassed for the glory of God. It's not going to get easier until you start doing it. Are you a servant of the Lord this evening? A servant of the Lord doesn't conform to this world. And when we do what we are doing, and we're not being like Jesus. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either we hate the one or love the other, or else he would hold to the one and despise the other. Can't serve them both. We can't serve the world and Jesus. That's from the words of Jesus again. Not only that, if we don't listen, we are sinning by committing the sin of omission. James 14 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you know God's told you to do it and you don't do it, it's a sin. And then Jesus says it again in Luke 6, 46-49, And why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the steam a stream beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the steam stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell, and the ruin of what house was great. There you have it. Jesus says, why call him Lord if you're not going to do what I say? Am I your Lord if you're not going to do what I say? If I tell you to do something you don't do it, how am I your Lord? If I'm your Lord, if I'm your master... When I tell you to do something, do it. A servant obeys their master. A servant obeys their Lord. You do what you want, and when the storms come in, it's not going to be pretty for you. We like to serve the creation instead of the creator. There's a huge danger in conforming to this world, which is ruled by Satan himself. Number two, not just the danger of conformity, but the display of change. We see in the verse two, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word um, says that how, this, this word right here tells us exactly how we don't conform to this world. We've got to renew our mind. That's when the light bulb goes off. That's when it finally clicks with you. That's when you finally grasp Calvary. That's when you finally realize what Jesus has done. Finally realize how he saved you. That you picture Calvary almost 2,000 years ago, blood and sweat coming from his, from his face running down, intertwining together, and, he, and he's thinking about you. He's, uh, he's on the cross just picturing all the sins that you've done far out, all the sins before him, all the sins after him. He, he's paid, he paid one ounce of that blood, paid it all. One ounce of that blood paid it all. And not one ounce of that blood has lost its power today, can I tell you? There is power in the blood this morning or this evening. I keep getting... Hey... Hey, this is just showing me. I, I'm, I'm just human. I'm just human. He's, he was thinking about you up on that cross. I don't care how many times you're going to spit in my face. I'm still going to finish this. I'm still going to die for you. I don't how many time, care how many times you're going to tell me no. I'm still going to die for you. I don't care. Even when you don't deserve it, I'm still going to die for you. That's the love of God right there. Oh, what greater love than the love of God. When that clicks, when that light bulb goes off, that's all it takes right there, folks. 
I'm not saying you're still going to mess up, but by the grace of God, you now have a different understanding and revelation. Therefore, God is always on your mind. The power of God's going to come in over your life and help you be able to transform that mind, renew your mind and not conform to this uh, world. There's power of God that'll help you. The power comes in many ways by his presence, through prayer, through preaching, through praises. And the biggest thing one I can think of is through the scripture. There's power in this word. I know for 100% certainty that the power of scripture will change you. You understand? Um, People go, go to preaching every day, every week. People go in God's presence every day, every week. They may even pray before they eat, before they sleep and go sing in the car. But I believe getting your nose in the Bible is the key to transforming your mind. That's the key. That's where it is. And there's even a study that helps it. Don't take my word for it. But listen to what the Word of God says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that a man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into, God, into good works. The power of the Word of God will transform you. The grass withers, the flower fadeth, but the Word of God will stand forever. When we read these words, we are reading words inspired by a supernatural God of heaven. It's a, it's a miracle of God that this Bible we have landed in our laps and we get to read it every day. That's a miracle right there in itself to know that this was 1,600 years, 40 different authors, and it's inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God that we get to have and we leave it on a shelf. Or we only open it up when it's Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night. It's a living word of God. He tells us where we came from, where we're going to, and he tells us exactly how to live. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit in the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what the word says. There's an answer to every problem in your life in this book. This is the answer book right here. This will tell you how to transform your mind right here. The Center for Bible Engagement did a recent study where they polled 40,000 people ages 8 to 80. And they discovered something. When reading the scripture just four times a week, four times a week, feeling lonely dropped 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in marriage dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Over half of the people in the study, their alcoholism dropped over reading the Bible four times a week. And being spiritual stagnant drops 60%. And that right there, that word spiritual stagnant is when you feel like reading your Bible is a chore. When you feel like prayer is a routine. When you don't look forward to going to church because it's part of your routine. You have no concern for the unbelievers around you that are going to a place called hell and you were once one of them. You're just checking off the spiritual boxes. Go to church. Pray before you eat. You're just checking them off. That ain't what God desires for us. There's no real fire. The fire went out. When your fire is out, that means your faith is starting to fade. There's this preacher and lawyer. They grew up. They grew up together. And the preacher, the lawyer, or the lawyer invited him. They got old. The preacher went up north and had a church. And the lawyer invited him out to come out down south to go hunting with him. He said, hey, you want to come down south and go hunting with me? The preacher said, yeah, I'll go hunting. I ain't seen you in forever. We'll get to... Talking, well, you know, it'll be fun. So they went down there, took a flight, went down there for the week, and was down there for a week with him. Did hunting. Well, the lawyer put him back in the car and was driving him to the airport, and he said, hey, you believe in God, don't you? He said, of course I believe in God. You know, He said, you're a preacher, right? He said, yeah, I'm a preacher. He said, you believe in the, the Bible? You believe in the Bible? He says, yeah, I believe in the Bible. Of course I believe in the Bible. I'm a preacher. You know that. He says, you, believe, you mean to tell me you believe every word in that Bible is 100% true? He said, yeah, I believe that Bible's 100% true. I believe it. And he started, he pulled that car over, that lawyer did, and he said, you tell me how you believe that. And you've not told me one thing about Jesus this whole week. How do you believe that? You're lying to me. There's no way you believe that God and the Bible's true. There's no way you believe that word of God's true. And if I don't put my faith in Jesus, I'm going to go to a place called hell. There's no way you believe in hell. Because if you believed in hell, then you'd tell me about him. You'd tell me about him. You'd warn me. I thought I was your friend. I've not heard the name Jesus come out of your mouth one time this week. We've all got there. We don't have no care for the unbelievers around us. 
No care. We're putting on a fake smile. God saved another soul. Hallelujah. But you know God knows our true heart and how we really feel about it. Get in the Bible four, four times a week and six out of ten people are going to start getting their fire back. Amen. We feed our bodies every day, but we fail to feed our souls. Our body will pass our way, but our soul will live forever. Start reading the Word and your mind will be transformed. Are you a servant of the Lord this evening? And finally, when you know that danger of being conformed and have that display of change about you, then and only then will you find that third element of being a servant. And that's the discovery of your calling. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word prove means that you're going to approve the will of God, that you'll know the proof of God, that you're testing the will of God. He's saying that as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and we grow in the understanding of who God is, we'll develop the ability to test the situation and know that if we're, we're in the will of God or not this is an incredible promise in the word of God we don't have to guess what God's will is for our lives he can tell us how if we do if there's he gives us three words for it it's his good will it's his good will it's his acceptable will that means God approves of it he accepts it it pleases him and number three it's his perfect will that means no faults nothing wrong with it in other words it's not just the will of God but it's the perfect will of God you know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. I'm done. I really am. I found when I had my transforming of the mind is when I found my will of God. It wasn't when I got saved. When I truly transformed the renewing of my mind and I realized what Jesus had done for me, that's when I found the will of God for my life. I'm here today because somebody was obedient in a Walmart, Tina. Because somebody was obedient on a Walmart on a Monday night, August 23rd, 2021. And invited me to church. But it wasn't, but get, get this now, it wasn't because of you, Tina. You're just a servant of the Lord. Your master told you to invite me to church. He told, he told her to, and she obeyed him. She obeyed him. She's just a servant of the Lord. God's the one that told her to invite him. Hey, God gets all the glory. Do you know how many times my pastor has faithfully invited me to church when I was out of the will of God? Coming through drive through McDonald's, hey, we miss you at church, come see us. You know how many times uh, my aunt and uncle back there invited me to come to church when I was out of the will of God? Tina didn't make anything special about her invitation. She just invited me to church. It was because God, I believe it's because of the power of prayer, over an hour away in Newman, North Carolina, they were praying for lives to be changed because on that Monday night, they were starting up their tent meeting that went on five weeks where many people got saved and eight people got called to preach and I was one of those eight. But I believe they, God heard those prayers and as soon as they were praying for God changed people's lives around this area from the north and the east and the south and the west. God affect people in this area. I want to see people called to preach. I want to see people's lives changed for your glory, God. I believe God heard some of those prayers. And at that same time, as, as Tina was inviting me to come to church, he was hearing those prayers from across the mountain. And he used Tina, and he used those prayers across the mountain, and he said, you know what? I'm going to draw him. He's going to come to church Sunday. That boy's going to get called to preach. Because I'm hearing these prayers, these faithful prayers that believe in the power of God, and I'm, and I'm going to bless her obedience because they're my servants, and they're doing what I've asked them to do. So I'm going to bless them, and I'm going to give them what they asked for. And I, and I come to church, heard about a tent meeting from my pastor who was obedient and kept on driving through the rainstorm to get there on a Friday night so he could come behind his pulpit and tell me about that meeting. And I drove over to that meeting higher than a kite on marijuana. And I went to the altar and I said, God, I surrender. Hey, that song was playing. I don't remember anything from the preaching. And the only thing I remember from the preaching was all in. Are you all in for God? Are you all in for God? You know what? I don't know what the other message, rest of the message is about, but that word all in stuck with me. And I said, I'm not all in, God. I'm higher than the kite right now, God. I'm, I'm not all in for you. And then they started playing that song, I Surrender All. They started playing that song, I Surrender All. That's why that song means so much to me. That's why that song, um, me and my brother sing, means a lot to me. Because it didn't just change me, it changed my whole family. Do you understand? We're here in this church because of obedience of servants of God. All to Jesus I surrender all, to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all. 
to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And that's what I did. I surrendered it all. And I gave God all the glory. And that was the last time I ever got high on marijuana. That was the last time. And I put my, found myself in church not only on a Sunday morning, but a Sunday night and a Wednesday night and Saturday morning prayer and find myself going to all these revivals because I'm seeking what God has for me. There's a difference in just getting saved and having that transformation of your mind to where you can know that will of God. And it ain't about the reward. It's a reward in itself to serve God. We get to serve the God of heaven. That's a reward right there. He don't even need to give us any rewards. Hey, we get to serve the God of heaven. That's our reward. We don't need to get money and whatever we want to do. Hey, Rachel, in the Bible, hey, those camels, whenever Abraham's servant went to go find a wife for Isaac, she come over there and fed the camels. She didn't know what she's going to get. She's just obeying God. But you know what? She got a reward for it, but she didn't do it for the reward. Don't do it for the reward this evening. Do it because it's your reasonable service. Do it because God gave his life for you, and you got to give your life for him. Hey, transform your mind. Let the light bulb go off this evening. Lord, it'll change you. Hey, the power of God will come upon you. Hey, you'll get that anointing. Hey, I'm telling you what, God will show you through. God will help you through. God will lead you where you need to go. God will direct your path. God will help you. He'll help you. Hey, even when your finances are low, He'll help you and give you peace. Even when your depression is high, He'll help you and bring it down. Even when your anxiety is through the roof, He'll help you preach a message. Hallelujah to God above. Because he deserves all glory. I don't deserve a bit of it. I'd much rather hide behind this pulpit and preach this message because this ain't nothing that I've done. This is only through the power of God Almighty. It's only through him. He's not, this is me, this isn't me, this isn't me. I'd put a bag over my head if I could. It's through God. Peter and John and Paul and Barnabas, when they were healing people, they didn't take credit for it. Put all attention over to God. That's true servanthood. Robert Sheffy, that circuit riding preacher, he'd travel around. He'd go up to somebody and say, he'd go up to somebody and say, hey, you're Robert Sheffy, you're that preacher that travels around. He'd say, no, brother. I'm just a servant of the Lord. I'm just a servant of the Lord this morning. Hey, are you a servant of the Lord? Are you a servant of the Lord? Ask yourself right now, are you a servant of the Lord? Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? Are you a servant of the Lord? If not, are you going to be from this day forward? If not, are you going to be from this day forward? Every head bowed and every eye closed.